If you've ever humiliated yourself as a leader, and like how many of us haven't done that, like even probably today, well, this episode should make us feel better. Within 15 minutes of me wrecking the culture, I'm embarrassed. I was wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. Will you please forgive me? Could we start over? He's a self-proclaimed management mess who's trying to become a leadership success. In fact, that's the name of his latest book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. My friend Scott Miller, one of the senior executives of Franklin Covey, is my guest on this episode to help us own our management mess. This is the class your business school didn't offer. It's the training your employer still hasn't provided. How do leaders like us Get people to do what we need them to do so we can grow our results and live the life we desire. That's the question, right? This podcast contains the answers. I am Russ Hill and welcome to Culture Hacks. So I want to start this episode with a uh, with a quote. Here, here's the quote. Leadership can feel like a bottomless pit of problem solving and adult sitting. Leadership is exhausting repetitive requires a constant stretch of your emotional and intellectual skills most days i really don't enjoy it scott miller welcome to the show (laughs) this is my favorite podcast what jerk said that (laughs) oh guilty as charged why did you start a management mess to leadership success with that you know i wrote the book because i think that Leadership is not for everyone. Contrary to perhaps what the industry says, not everybody should be a leader of people. I don't believe that. Not everybody should be a commercial airline pilot. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everyone should be a leader of people. I think too often the industry, the leadership industry and organizations lure people, Russ, into leadership roles versus lead them in. So I think I wanted to write a book that was really raw and relatable to say, Not everyone should be a leader and perhaps even you and me, right? But if we are going to lead people, then here's 30 challenges that you're going to face that you need to be prepared to actually succeed in because I messed up in most of them. Hmm. And so I wanted to be a little, not shock value, but I wanted to be brutally honest that leadership can be relentless, right? And rewarding and all those things. I think it's true. So of those 30 challenges, I think I've got, let's see, I'm looking at my notes here, maybe four or five that I want to dig into during our time together. But I, I, I can't resist uh, asking you to dig deeper into what you just said. My, my mind, Scott, when you say leadership isn't for everyone, my mind goes to, well, then who is it for? Sure, sure. I, so let me clarify, too. I think that everyone can lead, right? You can lead your brand. You can lead a project. You can lead your 401k. But that's different than leading other people because a leader's mindset, when you become a leader, you have to transition from an individual producer mindset where Mm -hmm. it's my contribution, I get it done. And a leader's mindset, Russ, requires you to realize that your job is now to achieve results with and through other people. And when that becomes your mindset shift, achieving results with and through others, everything has to change. You value relationships more. You're more patient. You're more courageous with feedback. You're a coach. You're a mentor. You're a model. Your job is to build capacity and capability in others, which means if you want to be a leader, you have to genuinely take delight in the success of others. Not everyone does. 
Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you're a sociopath or a bad person. <laughs> it means you're a person. We all have jealousies, right? But if you are going to be a leader, you have to realize that people around you might actually eclipse you in terms of fame and credit and attention and income and opportunity. And you have to not just be happy with that. You have to like take validation in that. Mm-hmm. And that isn't for everybody. Yeah, it wasn't for me for the majority of my leadership career. One of the things that what one of the things I love so much about this book, Scott, is because I think most people who speak about leadership do so from a high perch, right? Yes. And right. and look look at me, look what I've discovered. I, I'm sure that's not their intent, but it can come across that way. And and you joke even in the I, I was laughing as I read your book and and you're talking about you know back in the days when we used to travel and be in airports, you were joking about hey you might if you if you're reading this in an airport. You're, you're, you've got some humility and some authenticity that's great. You know, a book about leadership that, that the title is Management Mess, right? Yeah, yeah. Your, your intent was, I'm sure, to say, hey, look, we've all felt these struggles. We've all yeah. felt like yeah. a mess at some point, right? My, my intent with calling the book Management Mess to Leadership Success, Russ, was to make it safe for leaders to own their mess. Yeah. Because we all have messes. Every one of us, the receptionist, your partner, your CEO, your colleagues, your clients, they know your messes. They talk about them. They trade in them. So why not just be vulnerable and admit your messes, own your messes? Because when the leader owns their mess, they make it safe for others to own theirs. Okay. I think vulnerability is a leadership competency. Yeah. And, and this new reality with new generations in the workplace and with COVID as well, People want to relate to their leaders. Gone are these big chasms where the, the boss is up here and I'm down here. No, people want to know that they can relate to their leader, have a conversation, and can learn from their leader's mistakes as well. You know, I was on a meeting with uh, with a client earlier today. There were there were about 20, 25 people in this Zoom meeting, and one of one of the uh, one of the senior leaders on this call, she had her young daughter come in. I think three years old, and she kept wanting to sit on her lap. And yeah. then at another point, another child came in and she said, you know, you guys, I feel like I'm running a, uh, a preschool here. So, and I, you know, for me, that was so um, valuable. Like, wait, yeah. she's real. Yeah. Right. It was so taboo I, a year ago. Oh, totally. right? We saw that viral video on CNN yeah. where that British diplomat and his wife mm-hmm. came in. That everyone thought it was his nanny and the daughter. And it's, yeah, now to see my three boys running around behind me with their underwear on swords, <laughs> it's a highly likely event, right? <laughs> That's one of the benefits of, uh, of COVID-19. Okay, so speaking of owning your messes, can we talk about one of yours? <laughs> I, you talk about I 30 lo- of them because I wrote about them. <laughs> I love the story about the newspaper. So in challenge number one, demonstrate humility. You've got to tell. For those who haven't read the book yet, tell the story about the, the classified section. Yeah. So the first challenge, like you said, is called demonstrate humility. And I made it first because I struggle with it. I'm not a naturally humble person. I think I'm a naturally arrogant person, quite frankly. And what I've learned is that humility flows out of confidence. Confident people can be humble people. Arrogant people are incapable of being humble. So I'm promoted to a new position at the Franklin Covey Company in the education division. I get promoted over my peers, about 14 salespeople. I'm the new sheriff in town. And literally, that was my mindset, Mm -hmm. that I'm the new sheriff in town. I didn't say that loosely. I used some of my political clout. I called together a two-day training event to have all of my colleagues that report to me now 
be better steeped in the leadership solution they're selling to universities. Day one, we start at 8.30. Everybody kind of strolls in 8.45, 8.59 o'clock. I'm just indignant, right? I feel like I'm just having my entire credibility called into question. I do not, ha- I do not hide my um, vitriolic anger at everyone. Mm-hmm. Of course, like most insecure leaders, I take it super personally. I make it all about me. I begin to punish them. The next day, day two, I'm ready for my finest leadership moment. I'm going to catch <laughs> them being late again, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of like sitting down after day one, talking about, so guys, let's set some, some, let's set some protocols, right? Well, what time should we start? Can everyone be on time? Nope. I trap them. So instead of going to the store and buying croissants in Danish, I go to the store and buy about, I don't know, 15 copies of the Salt Lake Tribune. Walk in to my finest moment, they're all late again. <laughs> and how sick is this, right? I'm so validated, 8.45, whatever time it was, we begin starting. And I open the meeting and I say, if you want a job from nine to five, Dillard's is hiring. <laughs> and I proceed to go around the room and slap a, a Sunday or a Sunday tri- or Tribune in front of everybody. And I pull out the advertising, like the want ads, and I give everybody a highlighter thinking this is what leadership is. Well, I mean, you know, the meeting came to a screeching halt. <laughs> Multiple people gave me the look of, you are, a, you are a lunatic. One guy quit on the spot. The consultant was horrified. We're teaching a leadership program and the leader, anyway, I doubled down for a couple of hours. Did you? Like any good idiot would, right? <laughs> thinking I'll, I'll outlast them. Fortunately, they had the wisdom and maturity to forgive me for my immaturity. And I write about how I think maybe 15 years later, almost everyone to a T was at my wedding reception joking about what an idiot I was and am. (laughs) When did you recognize that that was wrong? About three days later. It wasn't that day at all. The consultant, a dear friend of mine, Nancy Moore, who works for the company, took me aside and just tried to like tell me, Scott, this is toxic. This is not leadership, right? This is like dictatorial. No, 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 Nancy. They're all late. I worked so hard and I paid for this. I use my cloud and how dare them? And why can't they be here two days in a row? Just classic defensive leader entrenched in my mindset, only seeing the world with my own lens. I'm a single guy. I have no kids. I have no spouse. Mm. I have, you know, I, I mean, you know, I can get somewhere. No problem. It took me about three to four days to really kind of understand how wrong I was. So if that was arrogance and and all of us who've ever spent more than a minute leading a team have had moments like that. It's fun to hear someone else share theirs, but we we've all had them. How do you how do you go from arrogance like that to demonstrating humility? What does it actually look like day to day, Scott? Yeah. You know, I think humble leaders don't need to be the smartest person in the room. Humble leaders are not the genius maker, rather not the genius in the room. They're the genius maker of others to quote Liz Wiseman, Mm -hmm. her book multipliers. I think leaders don't have to have all the best ideas. They are very comfortable with silence. They're comfortable weighing in last. Having other people's strategy displace their own. They recognize there's more ways to get to results than just your own. Humility is having the confidence to realize somebody else knows perhaps better than I do. I can sit and learn from them 
as well. In this situation, humility would have been setting some standards up front. Hey, ladies and gents, we're going to have two days. Let's set some guidelines. What do you what do you all think the protocol should be? How many breaks do you want? How do you want your materials? Where should we have it? But instead, you know, it was my event, not their event. Then humility really would have been within 15 minutes of me wrecking the culture. I would have begged them to come back to the table. I would have generally apologized. I would have said, I'm embarrassed. I was wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. Will you please forgive me? Could we start over with no buts? No explanations, no defenses, no baggage, no attachments. Yeah. You know what? One of the things that I love about leadership so much, Scott, is that it helps us. It gives us the opportunity to have moments like that. Oh, I and have, I've had plenty. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no shortage of them in your, in your no career, shortage. right? Mine too. I mean, we're talking about you today, so I get to ask the questions. I don't get to tell my stories today, but we've all got them. And, and, and to me, if you're willing to have humility, and we're going to get into some of the other challenges here in just a second, but if you're willing to do that, the amount of growth you can experience oh. is unbelievable, right? Okay, well, let's go to let's go to And challenge. not just growth for you, but growth in your members, because when they see you model an apology, when they see you model all of that, they realize, well, if he can do it, then I can too. Right. Challenge number six, carry your own weather. What does that mean? So this was popularized by our co-founder, Stephen R. Covey, in his seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In essence, habit one, Russ, which you know, is this idea of be proactive. Now, a lot of people who haven't read the book, which, by the way, I sold 30 million copies, they think be proactive is take initiative, take charge. Mm-hmm. It's not the context in which Dr. Covey writes it. He talks about how proactive people are very deliberate. They're very contemplative with how they choose to respond. The idea, of course, was inspired by Viktor Frankl's work in Man's Search for Meaning, right? Where mm-hmm. the last kind of human freedom is choice. You can choose how you respond to any situation, anybody else's moods or feelings, road rage, you name it. That proactive people, they choose their response based on their values, based on their reputation, based on some space between the stimulus and the response. And they carry their own weather metaphorically, that they don't, they don't respond because the boss comes in the office and slams the door and doesn't talk to them. They don't obsess, well, am I getting fired? Or, or were my expense reports wrong? Or is today my last day? They don't, they don't go there, right? They have confidence in themselves. They metaphorically carry their own weather, and they don't give up their weather to other people, other moods, other circumstances. It's easier said than done. Yeah. It's such a great metaphor. Yeah, I love it because especially in a, in a, in a time where there's so much change happening, right? Oh my gosh, and and we, yeah. we, we, we get the feeling that this isn't going to change, right? Well, there's always going to be change and the, the pace of it's going to accelerate. Oh my gosh. And so if you, if you aren't affected, um, I mean, we're all affected by it, but if, if, if what's, if, if what's happening out there doesn't really have a dramatic effect on, on how, on what you can expect daily, day in and day out on our team, I think that, that stability is is huge. Many of us have worked for, you know, I, I, I like to describe it as a leader who kind of, it's almost like that character. Who was it in Charlie Brown who had the dust storm, you know? Yeah, Pigpen. 
Yeah, all, all the time. So we've worked for leaders like that, right, where there's always dust being kicked up in the air, and you never know what you're going to get. So I love that. Let me take you due to time. I'm going to take you to a couple more. Um, challenge 10, make time for relationships. And I would love for you to talk to us about your relationship with toasters. <laughs> You've read the book. I'm impressed. I have read the book. You know, I think the biggest insight I learned from working with Dr. Covey for 15 years, he passed about nine years ago, I've been in the firm for 24 years, was this idea of being efficient and being effective. And one isn't better than the other, just there's two types of mindset. There's an efficiency mindset and an effectiveness mindset. And most of my life, Russ, has been spent capitalizing on an efficiency mindset. I'm a very productive person. I get up, I was up at three this morning. I wrote my Inc.com article from three to four. I wrote a chapter in marketing mess to brand success from four to five. I wrote an email to this. You get the point, right? On yeah. Saturday, I'll mow the lawn from seven to eight, watch the car from eight to nine. I have exhausted you already, but I'm a very productive person. It's worked very well for me in life. The problem is I take that efficient mindset and I try to move it over into my relationships. And you cannot be efficient with people, you can only be effective with people. Dr. Covey said, with people, slow is fast, fast, slow. So making time for relationships, you recognize that people are not an organization's most valuable asset. That's some HR placard from the 90s. It's not true. People are not an organization's most valuable asset. Mm. It is the relationships between those people. That is your ultimate competitive advantage. Because if Russ and Scott can compliment each other, forgive each other, pre-forgive each other, mm -hmm. that's a killer app you can't replicate anywhere mm -hmm. when you can steal everything but that. Make it safe to tell the truth. Let's spend a minute or two on that. Yeah, that's really all about self-awareness, right? None of us are as self-aware as we think we are. People who are self-aware crave feedback. They ask for feedback, and when they get the feedback, they don't refute it, deny it, or dispute it. They create the conditions where if I say to Russ, Russ, give me some feedback on how I was as a guest today, Russ really believes that I want the feedback. I've made it safe for him to tell me the truth about what it's like to have me on this webcast, or this podcast, rather, right? He can say your answers were too long, they were too loud, you were too animated. People who want feedback, who generally want to increase their self-awareness, you take responsibility for making sure the other person feels safe to tell you their truth. Yeah. You, uh, the, one of the things you say in the book is feedback is more the responsibility of the receiver. Yes. 100%. Than the giver. Right. I think that's so true. That's Because most leaders will say, well, I ask for feedback and no one gives right. me. They don't give it to you because they're scared to death of you. Who's going <laughs> to tell the CEO that you're 70 slide PowerPoint deck was, you know, narclep worthy. No one's <laughs> going to tell you that, right? Unless they don't fear you. Yeah. Unless you've created an experience when they shared that belief with right. you that caused me to go, oh, they actually, they actually are listening. Um, 
You know what, Scott? Uh, I'm listening, thinking through what we chatted about, and we didn't really talk about the toasters. You talked about the value of relationships, but I'm going to let people read the book because this section on toasters about relationships is awesome. And because so, you related, or you just you it was so oh, outrageous. No, you Scott, I, I I had no idea what you were talking about. It felt so disconnected from my personality. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know what I wanted to do in the last minute? I, I I'm just as for those of you that are watching rather than listening, you'll appreciate this. With Scott's background, I wanted to do like a lightning round and just start throwing quotes at him and have him point to the book behind him where the quote came from. <laughs> there's this huge wall. For those of you who are listening on a podcast app, there's a huge wall that is in the studio that Scott does interviews like this with yeah. all kinds of authors. And many of those, the best business books um, are behind him. So it's uh, I, I, I appreciate We'll have to do an interview sometime, Scott, about I'd love to hear some of your 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 biggest takeaways from these. How many interviews have you done in the last few about years? About 150. But, you know, I'm writing a book for HarperCollins, Russ, called Master Mentors. What is it called and the book is The book is called Master Mentors, okay. 40 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. So I took my top favorite 40 interviews in the podcast, and I'm writing a chapter about each one of them. And that book will come out every year in perpetuity. So the book comes wow. out in early 2021. That's I, just well, what you're it's saying. It's been like four months since you've published a book, Scott. I so I wanted I to just make sure that, I mean, holy cow. How many, how, how, like, how much time is there between Twice a books? year. Twice, Twice a year. year. So okay. I have a marketing mess to brand success coming out in May. And then following that will be job mess to career success and a whole mess of success series. Wow. Love it. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's so... Um, rewarding for us to see you demonstrate what you're suggesting vulnerability Thank you, sir. and no Thanks, it's sir. it's uh it's awesome so scott we've got a ton more that we could talk about we'll do it another time appreciate your your being on the show today my honor thanks for the invite russ Hey, everyone, a couple of quick things. First, you can watch the interview you just listened to. Yeah, the link to watch it on YouTube is in the show notes in whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. You might want to forward that link to friends or colleagues that would find it useful as well. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, just tap on that subscribe button. You'll get two new great episodes each week. And finally, I want to invite you to our private Facebook group. I spend time there in between the episodes. It's for leaders like us. You can access it by going to theculturehacks.com.